I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Islanders Anxiety, the podcast from Lighthouse Hockey. My name is Dan Saracini. Joining me this evening via Skype is my friend Michael Leboff. And Mike, we have uh, actual Islanders news to talk about uh, in the middle of the Stanley Cup final. That's kind of cool. Yeah, we, we stole the back pages from the Bruins and uh, and the Blues. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, for, the, for the moment anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so uh, actually, I, I, yeah, it was, uh, it's, a, it's a while ago now. I think it was actually before game one happened, but yeah. Uh, the Islanders uh, finally knocked off one of their their uh, unrestricted free agents by signing Brock Nelson to a six year extension worth thirty six million dollars. Averages out to six million dollars a year, but there's some Lou Lamorello shenanigans going on in there. He gets like eight million next year, and I think five million the year after, something like that. Uh, I think there's a full no trade, no movement clause in the the first two years, but then there's like a modified no trade clause at the end with you know the whole teams list and everything. Um, and so that again, it was one of the four guys they had that were going to be UFAs knocked off the, the list. And, you know, I, as we, we've been joking about it for a long time now, but there was a ton of criticism out there about this. So obviously, every every contract that's ever been signed is the worst contract in the league. If you follow along on social media. But, uh, you know, if you look at all of the factors that went into this signing, uh, I, I think it turned out to be a pretty fair deal for both sides. And there's a lot going on. Um, you know, Nelson's age, his durability, his fit with the team. And biggest thing being that he was one of the few actual good centers that was available this year. And to get him for $6 million, which is a little bit of an overpay, but he's again an unrestricted free agent. I think it makes sense. Uh, what was your take on, on the signing? And uh, were you in the uh, bad camp, good camp, or that's eh, fine camp? No, it was a, it was a great deal. I mean, the, it's so funny how I think – it's it's almost a great you know microcosm for the reason why people um, give analytics analytically slanted people um, a hard time. It's because you you can look at the numbers and say like oh well like we had him projected for a four and a half million dollar deal or whatever and he's you know his goals per or points per dollar or whatever but <laughs> there's no where's you, 
sports are about context. Like there's there's a ton of context. And if you and I'm sure that a lot of people. I mean, if if I was in you know Phoenix or Minnesota or Dallas and said, oh wow, Brock Nelson signed a six year deal. Like the last I heard of Brock Nelson, he was you know bad or right. I, I never Brock heard Nelson? of Brock Nelson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like he kind of just quietly goes about what he does, and like and that's kind of got him. Um, a bad rap among Islander fans too is just because he's like never really, I mean, he's good. He's solid. He's never really stood out, stood out. And this is a great deal for uh, a number two center when there's, if he left and the Islanders then would have to swing for the fences with Kevin Hayes, basically, or they just wouldn't have number two center for the next year and forever long, you know? So like if, if you look at the context, I would have been fine if they'd, you know, given him more money, honestly. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's so funny to me that sure. Like you can say, you know, we, we had, this is our projection and this is what Brock Nelson's deal kind of, uh, equates. And if you look at his points or what, what we like his career slope and what we expect out of him, you can say, oh yeah, they might've overpaid a little bit. Like he's going to be a free agent, dude. Uh, every free agent and in, in the history of sports has gotten overpaid. Uh, so it's, I, I just, it blows my mind that people, were uh were like just swinging and missing again and then you know when people when an article comes out about grit and heart and all those things they're like well you know like oh it's in 2019 and we're still talking about those things like you know like this is why people get mad at you guys and as a whole like you just don't have have a little bit like have a little bit of self-awareness and realize this is this is a bigger there's a lot more things going on than just a bunch of numbers and uh yeah, I, I thought it was a great deal and worth the headache of people saying that the Islanders overpaid for him when he goes October, which, you know, if, if we know Brock Nelson, he never will do because he, he's he's Mario Lemieux in October. But <laughs> yeah, in October, I wouldn't worry about him. But March is a different story. But uh, but, yeah, no, I agree with you 100 percent like the you know, it's it's one thing to and I'm not saying that like deals out there aren't bad. I mean. Andrew Ladd, yeah, you know, like all, yeah, Andrew Ladd was a good example, you know. Um, David Clarkson won with the Leafs, and he's he's still got one more year left on that deal. And I just saw someplace something somewhere where they were like, you know, maybe maybe uh, Vegas can trade him to somebody because his cap hit is higher than his payout. So like the Senators or something like that could use the cap hit, maybe. Um, and so there are bad deals out there, and I'm not saying that deals shouldn't be criticized when they're bad, but. I also feel like a lot of people, like you said, like they kind of live in this sort of like fantasy world where a guy will make less money than he made in the last contract because, well, this is how the numbers bear out. It doesn't work that way. You know, like it doesn't. This is why I think the primary reason why the Islanders probably won't resign Jordan Everly is that he's already been making six million dollars a year. And you can make the case that he should be making five and a half or maybe six again. But can you really see him making less than he's already been making for the last six years? No, because that's just not the world we live in. And it, it's just, that's how it is. I mean, I've never seen, I, I made a comment and uh, lighthouse hockey saying that, you know, I've never seen some UFA sign a deal for, you know, that he was, that again was less than he just made because dude, you're going to be 37 years old. Like we can't sign that. That doesn't, that's not how it works. You're always paying for past performance. You're never paying for future performance, which is what, people kind of hold on to. And it's like, that's not how the world works. And so when you see a deal, when we see a deal like this again with Nelson and again, it's, that's a totally reasonable contract for a guy of his stats. And again, 25 goals last year, 53 points, the best season he had under uh, in the NHL. And clearly you don't need stats to know that if you just watched him, because he looked like a completely different player under Barry Trotz, a coach who, apparently put more trust in him than any other coach he ever had, you would know that he's, he's, you know, kind of earned that contract. Now I'm not saying that I'm, you know, worried that he's not going to live up to it because he's got six years and he, you know, hopefully if he does what he did last season and puts up another, you know, 20 plus goal, 50 something point season, that's pretty good. But, you know, we were worried about Josh Bailey's contract too. When he signed that a couple of years ago for 5.5 million, I believe. And, He's pretty much done the same thing, you know. He's found his game and he's he's kept it up and he's he's 
still a pretty darn good player. So I, I don't think it's a problem. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I wouldn't call it necessarily a, a steal for the Islanders, but I think it's a fair deal for a player of Brock Nelson's caliber, even if, you know, your average Vancouver Canucks fan couldn't pick yeah. Brock Nelson out of a lineup. <laughs> as uh, as Arthur Staple told us last week, you know, he was right on the money. The the market for centers this year is terrible. And, yeah, if you if they didn't sign Nelson, then Kevin Hayes is your last shot. And if you miss out on, on Hayes, who's left? I mean, you're talking about making a trade for Kyle Turris, a guy who had you know nine goals last year, and he's making six million a year. Like that's that's a tough one. And so that deal that Turris signed was a good one when they signed it, but now it's looking like a tough one. So they needed to get it done, and they got it done. And I think for yeah, the money, and if you it's a good deal. Think about it this way: Had Brock Nelson signed that same deal with you know the the Detroit Red Wings on July 1st, wouldn't you be? Everyone would be pissed off. Like, <laughs> oh, we could have signed up to that, and we're like, yeah, we, you know, and and that's just right. That's how this yeah. works, and. Yeah, sure. If 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 uh, the if he doesn't live up to the contract, it it sucks, but it's not going to really be a hindrance. Hindrance like Lad is because Brock is still in his prime as a as a player. He's young, um, right? He's twenty seven, so he's he's. I mean, he's yeah, right there. He's um, if if you know, he's there, and there are out clauses basically. Like Lou Lamarillo is is pretty much uh, like the the poster child for for building these contracts, like building weird clauses into stuff and backloading and front-loading and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. And and I think it also is a good sign that – because we, we talk, talked uh, – what was that, Monday or last week? Whatever, whenever we spoke last week, I mean, I was legitimately concerned with you know, the way the conversation was going. Um, didn't really sleep well that night because it's – it wasn't like, you know, the next day was the deadline to get these guys under under the roof, but it was it's a month away. And, and we've we spoke at length about how that week before free agency is really hell week for Islanders. We've we've just been ravaged during that week. And yeah, this shows me that Lamarillo at, at, for, you know, he's, he's he had some some swings and misses as in his first year. And this this was definitely not this was a hit. And he is taking care of business now. I mean, I think he sent a good message to to the fan base and to the other UFAs. Like, if you want to get a deal done, like, we can get a deal done. Look at this. The deal was appropriate for both sides. I would say Brock Nelson's got to be thrilled coming out. If Brock Nelson, before last season's, if Islanders, if, if he had had the opportunity to say, we can, we'll sign you to a six-year, $6 million deal, he would have took that in a heartbeat. And, um, and that's, I mean, that's, mm. I just don't <laughs> see how it's, uh, how that's not a, a positive, an overwhelmingly positive start to, to the, uh, to the off season with, with like the, the way it's got to go. It's got, we got to get these guys under, they got to get them signed and we got to get them ready because the, uh, losing, losing, you know, even if, it, if it's just Nelson, it's a, it's going to be, it's brutal. So we got to get, the, and so just getting the first one and we, we spoke to right. Arthur and I think he agreed <laughs> and a lot of people agreed outside of Leonard, I think, of the skaters, Nelson was probably the most important because of the position, like scarcity, the scarcity of that that type of center. So uh, I'm just, you know, I'm thrilled. Yeah, I would think that Leonard would probably be the next one, but uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like this is a sign, I think, from Lou that they are they are working on stuff right now, and and that's another part of the context too is that this is a team, and I don't need to tell you or anybody who's listening to this that has. This is a team that has had problems signing free agents in the past. <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, they signed Andrew Ladd. He's the only the last big time free agent that they signed by, you know, having Doug Waite drive him around the island and showing him that where the schools where his kids will go. But like, you know, Ladd was already thirty years old at the time and and was you know, that that signing, I don't know, I feel like somebody could write a whole book on that signing. Like it just seemed like he they thought he was gonna be some sort of final piece of the puzzle, uh, you know, the kind of veteran winger that you know, John Tavares could use and blah, blah, blah. And it just never even came close to anything like what they envisioned. But, you know, guys in their prime aren't signing here. I mean, I, I'm telling you right now that they're not going to sign Artemi Panarin or Matt Duchesne this summer. It just isn't going to happen because there's just too many things up in the air. Maybe once they get Belmont going, it'll be different. But uh, that's another consideration, you know, just to lock up your own guy before that signing period to send that message that people want to stay here and play here and play for this coach with this team is a huge, a huge thing. I mean, especially for us. Now, I also agree with you in that if, you know, three months from now we're like, you know, well, they signed Brock Nelson and that's the only good thing they've done. Well, then that's a problem. That's that's a first place you got to start. I would think that Leonard would be next. 
Um, I read somewhere, or I forget where, that you know Leonard's agent and, and Lou have been talking. Uh, somebody had on Reddit a picture of uh, Anders Lee and Barry Trotz having a coffee uh, at Starbucks, apparently, or something. So that might be a positive sign, and uh, you know we'll see where it goes from there. But you know, I just it's just the theme that we've been dealing with all year, which is that you know we we have to we have to like this team for what it is because it's it's never going to get any respect from anybody outside of us. And, you know, if we can look at this deal and be like, that's a good deal. I'm happy with the player. I'm happy with the contract. Then that's all we need. And we don't need, you know, 150 articles telling us that it's, it's a bad deal because Brock Nelson is, you know, his career uh, relative Corsi is uh, minus 0.8, you know, that, which is uh, true. I'm actually looking at his hockey uh, reference page right now. It's, it's minus 0.8. Uh, so, you know, and that of course makes him a bad player in the eyes of many, but for us, like we know, we know the player, we know what we've seen him do, we know what he's capable of doing, and uh, and I, you know, I should be fair that there were some people out there that were like, hey, that's a good deal for the Islanders. Nelson's a pretty good player, and that's a normal deal. But there was also a lot of like hemming and hawing, and and our friend Carrie wrote a nice article about you know the good and the bad, and came out basically saying, hey, this is a good deal for everybody, and so that's it. End of story. It's a little bit of both. So yeah, uh, I, I I I'm with you. Like I feel like you know, yep. for me, it's a win, and that's it. But, you know, yeah. I can and see I, some people. I think you actually, a very subtle point you made a couple minutes ago is this is his first year under Barry Trotz and he had a career year. So, you know, these, who's to say he's not going to have, you know, an even better year in two and three when when the nuances and uh, of, of the system like become second nature to him. Like these like we said last last week, these this mm. team, for the most part, has not had a real NHL coach the Islanders you know the last thing close to a real NHL coach for this team I mean I don't even know I I, I think you could say maybe Scott Gordon because he had a an X's and O game plan it, it didn't work the overspeed system for sure but but at least there was there was like a a, a plan in place that it just didn't he didn't have the right pieces for uh, I mean but since him there's there's been no real clear quote-unquote identity uh attached to this team other than you know smart and hard and and no passengers so so you, you, you're seeing a type of, you know, the, the player that Nelson could be under the right tutelage. And I think I, I think he's, his stock is only going up. So that's that's why I'm really, really happy. Yeah. You know, I, we haven't talked about that, but I'm interested in that, too. And I mean, I don't want to go off on a whole thing, but like I'm interested to see how the team works a year two under Barry Trotz. You know, like that would be that should be pretty cool and see like because, you know, we all know that. Trotz had, you know, the exit interview wasn't like, hey, man, take it easy this summer. I'll see you in September. Like, no, I'm sure he gave these guys detailed notes about what to do <laughs> and what to practice and what to work on and where they needed to improve come come next summer. And, you know, even Trotz said, like, hey, we, we need some more pop in the lineup. So they're they're expecting the team to get better. And so, you know, I don't I don't think Nelson's. Uh, line mates are going to change all that much. I mean, I assume he'll still have Bailey on one side and you never know. Maybe he has Anthony Bovilla on the other, maybe somebody else on the other side. So that could also be a positive for him too. Maybe he finds a player who he, uh, he has chemistry with. So yeah, I, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and you know, we'll see. And again, <laughs> I know it's, it's a cliche at this point, but you know, we, we can't have this segment without saying, you know, if you told me a year ago that I would be happy that the Islanders signed Brock Nelson for six years, I would have said, yeah, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh, here we are. You know, it's a good deal, and and they're keeping a good player, and uh, who's a different kind of player than we had seen in the previous uh, uh, years under Brock Nelson. Uh, the, another player I want to talk about is uh, far off, or maybe not as far off as uh, you might think. But uh, Noah Dobson uh, had quite a week as well. He uh, won his second uh, consecutive Memorial Cup. I think I believe he's only one of 11 players to have ever done that. I might be getting that wrong, but uh, it has not happened that often that a player wins back-to-back Memorial Cups in junior, this time with two separate teams, and uh, he got traded to the Ryun Naranda Huskies uh, midway through the season and put up a ridiculous year. Uh, He had 36 points uh, through 28 games with the Huskies and then 29 points in 20 games in the playoffs. Uh, of the Quebec Major Junior League, which is just crazy. I mean, 29 points in 20 games. He won playoff MVP, and then the team went on to the Memorial Cup, and he ended up having, let me make sure I got this right, uh, a one goal and two assists in, um, I guess, five games and uh, led the team. They were down 2 nothing to start that game to uh, Halifax and then came back to win it, the Huskies did. They beat uh, 
Arno Durando, who's another uh, Islanders draft pick. But that's an unbelievable accomplishment for for a kid to have won. Most most kids leave junior without ever experiencing any Memorial Cup, and this guy has won them in back to back years. And you know, again, it's a cliche, but I think it's safe to say that Noah Dobson doesn't have a whole lot left to learn at the junior level. I think it's safe to say he's he's ready to move up. Uh, the problem is. The CBA kind of precludes him from doing that because he won't be old enough to play in the AHL next year. So it's kind of either Islanders or Junior again. And, I mean, sending him back, I guess, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But I think it's safe to say that this guy is kind of done with Junior hockey, right? Yeah, I mean, seriously. Holy shit, what are you supposed to do after you win? Yeah, I think I think <laughs> back-to-back uh, Memorial Cups, you know? I think, and I hope that he'll he'll be up. And I think this it his, his presence and arrival would... He, he, first of all, he... I didn't uh, admittedly didn't watch all that much of the Memorial Cup, but um, Travis, uh, whose Twitter handle is ND Red Eagle, has been kind of curating a lot of clips and stuff about Dobson throughout this run. And you just you you see him, and sure, this is cherry picking because you're not going to put up a, a a video of him, you know, just having a mundane shift. But the the good ones are really good. He's just so quick uh, to move the puck and to he's very shifty, beating guys and kind of deceptive and. He, he he just looks so poised, and he's part, one of the reasons I was really getting upset about why people were looking for the Islanders just to completely regress and fall back down to earth is that the island Islanders are going to be a different team next year. Like this is, and Noah Dobson's arrival is going to be hopefully a part of that. Like this guy will make their defense better um, than than it was. He's he's show, or I mean, it, sure he's still young and a prospect, so I can't say that for sure. But I mean from from all the report, the reports and and kind of prospect people, uh, it it seems like he's a real gem, and uh, that's just the type of like this him and Bodile too has has been kind of uh, creating some buzz. I know that uh, Arthur Staple had something about him earlier, and I just I think when when you look at the bigger picture, it's the same thing as the Nelson thing. Like the outlook is a lot more positive uh, than people are giving the Islanders credit for, and and these two guys, Dobson especially, are a big part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just uh, I've seen those clips that, that Travis is putting out and, you know, Dobson, he skates like that and he's able to move the puck like that and he's shifty like that. But he's also six, three, like he's not a small man <laughs> and, and he's 18, you know, so he's he's only going to get bigger or excuse me, he's 19 and uh, he's only going to get bigger and stronger as the years go on. And um, yeah, I mean, he's the kind of guy who could potentially change things. I mean, we, we've been talking all year about how Devon Taves changed the Islanders for the better when he came up and became a regular and unfortunately you know it meant Thomas Hickey was out with an injury but you know that's unfortunately how it works sometimes you know players you like they kind of get pushed away by better players who are coming up and there's a pretty good chance that you know Noah Dobson could end up getting Nick Letty traded somewhere or you know some other kind of move like that to, to make room for him if he comes in now they have prospect camp at the end of this month I believe or uh, sometime in June and then they have training camp in September so there's a lot of you know moving parts between here and opening night. Uh, and so you don't necessarily know. Obviously, there's the famous nine-game tryout that he can get before he has to get sent back to junior. Uh, so they could always give him that as well. Um, and like you said, Bodie Wilde, Arthur Staple wrote a nice article about Bodie Wilde today, who also came on and was uh, – he turned out to be uh, – he was named a second-team All-Star in the OHL this year and st- had a claim to being one of the best uh, defensemen in the OHL altogether this year uh, – if it wasn't for Evan Bouchard, who's a uh, an Oilers prospect who went back to junior, so you know these two guys have have a chance to really change the Islanders for the better in in short order. Now Wild can play in the AHL next year because he was drafted out of the U.S. development program. So in a way, that's the the sort of easiest course of action <laughs> for the Islanders was to be you know not that Wild couldn't make the team out of camp, I guess, but. In the event that he doesn't, or it doesn't look like he's going to make it quite, you could just send him to Bridgeport, have him be close, have him be monitored, and and you know have him play professionally, and it'll probably work out. Dobson again is a trickier issue because he he could go back to junior, and hey, look, if he goes back to junior and dominates, then so much the better. But if he doesn't, if he does and doesn't, you know, or he gets hurt, God forbid, something bad like that, that could be a problem. But at the same time, is he ready for the NHL? Is he going to struggle against? men and not, you know, 17, 18 year old kids. So there's a lot going on there, but it's just, uh, 
I remember being excited when Griffin Reinhardt won the Memorial Cup because I thought, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be great. This is the Memorial Cup. This is a big deal. Michael Dow Cole won the Memorial Cup. Uh, Matthew Barzell's team made the Memorial Cup, which was great when he was at uh, at Seattle, and I thought that was a cool moment for him because you know he had gotten sent back, and we were like, oh, my God, what is this going to do for him? And all he did was just be a beast and lead his team to the Memorial Cup where they didn't win. But now this guy's won two. I mean, they, the Islanders drafted him after winning a Memorial Cup, and now he's won another one. And I'm very, very excited. I want to see this kid play in the NHL, and I want to see him, uh, uh, you know, add to the list of Taves, Pollock, uh, you know, Mayfield and Pellick, and 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 just be on that list. Uh, you know, Wild maybe maybe Aho. And something occurred to me, like here we have been talking about. Ryan Pollock uh, coming along and becoming essentially number one defenseman, especially you know, capping off with that that series he had against the Penguins. But like, could you imagine if a couple of years from now we're looking at the at Pollock, Taves, and Dobson, and like Pollock would be the <laughs> third best out of all three of them? Like, that would be that would be in a way awesome, <laughs> and that would mean that the other two guys are just even better than he is. I mean, it's possible, or maybe he gets better and the, his game is raised by the other two guys and. You know, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, to you, you look at the, the Hurricanes and people couldn't stop talking about their homegrown uh, defense uh, with, with with Jacob Slavin and, and Falk. And I mean, even before those guys, uh, you know, when they had Noah Haddafin, who they turned into to Dougie Hamilton, like these having this this glut of really good young and, and like kind of modern day uh, defensemen is, is something that most franchises wouldn't have. I think most teams would flip their their you know organizational defense for the islanders in a heartbeat i i don't really i'm not too familiar with the ins and outs of every other franchise's you know <laughs> defensive prospects but i would <laughs> venture to guess the islanders would definitely be in you know the top two or three with with the way things are and you know like you, you mentioned sebastian ajo like mitch van de Sample, those guys were very good in bridgeport by all accounts and hmm. are pretty much ready and probably step into most nhl lineups and so you we, we, we got this, I don't want to call it a, a logjam because it's it's not. It's a good thing of uh, of defense. It's not a logjam yet. It could be a logjam. Yeah, <laughs> it's not one yet, though. The irony is that uh, only one of them came from the defenseman draft where we, right? <laughs> is it just, it's it's right. just Pellick or maybe Van de Sample too. But, but um, yeah, the, uh, the I can't remember the last time the Islanders had a, uh, a prospect who was kind of spoken about in this regard uh, by uh, – throughout the entire industry right been Barzal a little Barzal was like kind of there I would say but they were still he, he his star really didn't start to shine I don't think until he actually was in the NHL and maybe this is a little recency bias but you know to, I think you could say maybe Tavares was that one but he didn't really ever have any he didn't marinate at all he, he was he stepped right into the lineup um so I think it's been a long time because there are definitely questions about Pollock being kind of a one one trick pony with the shot and, and his offensive game and that his skating needed work and he needed to you know get bigger in, in his own zone and then Ryan Hart obviously was the question and it was a legitimate one it turns out about his skating and and then there was Strom and Doc Cole it was just like I I can't remember the last time the Islanders had what feels like and obviously it's a it's still a prospect so they, there's definitely a chance things go up in flames but like a surefire to, at least talked about as a surefire prospect. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I can't remember the last time they've had that. I guess, I guess Barzell was that guy, but at, at the same time, it's like yeah, it's he different. Came and, and it was like it, was, yeah. it had a different feel to it, where he was uh, he was much more of a uh, like Dobson feels like a very safe, high floor kind of guy, whereas as Barzell as being like the kind of player he was before he stepped foot in the NHL. Um, Sure, the ceiling was super, super high, but I don't know if people were too uh, sure about where his floor was exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, maybe uh, if he was, uh, if he wasn't sort of uh, behind the iron curtain, so to speak, maybe Ilya Sorokin would be that guy too, because he just won another uh, Gagarin Cup and like won playoff MVP and had a million shutouts and stuff. But uh, as of right now, he's kind of uh, on the other side of the world there, so we're not gonna. Paid that much attention, but he's, I think his contract is only for one more year, so we'll see what happens. Uh, okay, after the break, we're going to totally switch gears and have a fun discussion about our favorite topic, Old Islanders, but it's for a good reason. All right, we'll be back in a minute. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. On Sunday, the double IHF, International Ice Hockey Federation, held its uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And by a weird and wonderful turn of events, three players who were inducted into the Hall of Fame all have Islanders connections. And I noticed this months ago when they announced the inductees and talked to Mike and said, hey, look, we got to do an episode about this. And and turns out that this was the week that they did it. So And it worked out perfectly because we can talk about it here. Um, but of the, uh, the six nominees, three of them are names that Islanders fans will remember. Uh, Miroslav Shatan. Uh, Jorgen Janssen, and we'll talk about him. We're going to talk about everybody in a second, but Jorgen Janssen might be a name that might not a lot of people might not remember, but we'll talk about him pretty at, at length. And, of course, the great Zygmunt Palfi, who Islanders fans have been revering for a long, long time. And these are three guys that were all inducted into the IIHF Hall of Fame. Uh, I'll have the video of the induction ceremony in the, uh, the post for this so you can sit and watch. It's about an hour long, and the speeches are very short. In particular, Ziggy's speech is very, very short, but... Uh, these guys were all uh, were all nominated and inducted based on their international play. And if you watch it, the number one thing I came away with was just kind of how small a speck the Islanders are <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Because I I really enjoyed how Ziggy and and uh, Shatan in particular are revered in their home country of Slovakia as. The guys that paved the way, you know, I mean, the country was was splitting apart into two two halves and and they were wanted to establish themselves as a hockey country and they did it. And, you know, you talk about world championships and Olympic medals and and different you know tournaments and stuff. These guys are gods there. Like it's and it's unbelievable. And like, you know, we talk about Miro Shatan. You love Miro Shatan. I love him, too. And like, you know, he had a cool three year run with the Islanders. But like to somebody who's from Slovakia, who's a hockey player like Miro Shatan is like. You know Wayne Gretzky or Bobby Clark or you know uh, Rocket Richardo or any of these guys that like paved the way. Brian Trottier, the guys who paved the way for your entire existence, and it's pretty cool. But it also makes you feel like, man, we are just a tiny little. It's like the Carl Sagan, you know, tiny blue dot in in space. It just gave me that kind of feeling. But it's a good feeling to know that you know these guys were really as much as they may not have gotten the attention, but as Islanders, they definitely got the attention as international players and it's awesome it's awesome to see that yeah i uh i'll never i'll never forget shatan the day he signed because it was the year after the lockout and it was kind of the wild west nobody really knew like all these guys had these contracts that ran out nobody really knew what it, up to you like do they get do they still count do they not and, and i just remember for some reason the islanders were always going to to sign him and and I always thought that was such a crazy thing because I remember watching him with the Sabres and be like, this guy's so good. Like, I wish the Islanders could have a player like this. And you watch him in the Olympics. Like you said, like, he was treated like a god. And, and he, obviously the name hmm. – and he had a, and he definitely had a look. Yeah, uh, a brow. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that sort of matched the name. And, and, and like, he, when they signed him in that, uh, that free agent – like, they call it free agency frenzy. Like, this was one. This was seriously a free agency frenzy. And – just I, I think it was like TSN. I just remember the Islanders had like 
the the front page of tsn.ca for like a minute with shatan like islanders signed shatan a three-year deal and there's just a picture of him taking a uh lining up for a one-time rate is such a good <laughs> shot and just being like you know the first real like big ticket free agents the, the islanders signed during like the um the kind of good i don't want to say good years but like during like a decent year like uh or coming off one because it was they made the playoffs lockout then they did this and i was like wow the islanders have a chance and um i always loved him uh as, as an islander and and you still see people with uh, uh shatan jerseys around the concourses and stuff and and he's just one guy that i don't i don't think and yes the name is definitely a part of it but i don't think that's a jersey that will ever you know lose its luster and uh yeah, yeah he's just, he was uh, great. his time with the islanders was three seasons uh he finished 243 games 78 goals 88 assists 166 points which is not a bad ratio uh but before that he he really made his name in buffalo and i remember when he got traded from the oilers to the sabers and it was like boy this guy you know he had some potential he had he had 18 goals that first year as an oiler in his rookie year but then he exploded for the sabers 40 goals in that 99 season where the uh, buffalo went to the the stanley cup finals and again the name is a big thing like when a guy shows up and his name is spelled like satan it's going to get your attention, but he was a good player. You know, he had 30 goals. Almost, He was almost a lock for 30 goals for a long time. And in fact, his first year with the Islanders, he had 35, which man, I totally forgot about. He had 27 goals the next year. So he had a, he put up good, <laughs> good numbers with the Islanders. He was on the other side of 30, but, uh, but he could still definitely score goals. And, but it's funny too. Like um, he's one, you know, he, he was a, I agree. Like he was a big, a fairly sizable free agent signing, but he's always struck me as one of those guys that, was good enough that you wanted to trade for him, but if you were going to lose him, you'd be like, yeah, you know what? We can give him up and go someplace. Like, it's like Mike Gartner a little bit, you know, like Mike Gartner. <laughs> yeah, like, I was going to say, it's like almost Jordan Everly-ish. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's he's very good, don't get me wrong, but you know what? He's not going to... He's not going to hold up any deals or something like that. And actually, I thought he got traded a bunch of times. Turns out he was only traded the one time from the Oilers to the Sabres. And then he signed with the Islanders as a free agent, signed with the Penguins as a free agent, and won a Stanley Cup. So, hey, good for you. And then he played a year with Boston, which, man, I totally forgot about. But uh, I, I, I remember that Boston year. He, he, I think he scored a, an overtime goal with them in a, in a playoff game. And I just remember being like, I'm, you know what? I'm not really too happy that we're thrilled that the Bruins are having success. And but and it was the same thing with the Penguins. I was like, I'm just happy to see <laughs> yeah, Miro. Me too. He came out and was like, all oh, right, Miro's on this team. It's, and then that, it was repeated a, a couple of years later with Mark Streit. I'm like, oh, yeah, Mark Streit's on that team. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. Very good memory. Uh, he did score a, an overtime goal against the Sabres, actually, ironically, uh, in the second overtime. So there you go. How about that? Wow. Um, but uh, but now Miro is is on the management side. He he was the GM of the uh, – the, um, the Euro team at the World Cup, and I'm sure he's working with Slovakia and hockey right now. Uh, it's funny in the in the induction video, you know, they go through the whole thing and, and they mention his hometown, and he's like, I don't know why they got that from because that's not where I grew up. <laughs> they talk about his other his other hometown that he talked about, and uh, it, it was it was cool to see. And again, like you know, for us, it's a fun guy. He was an Islander for three years. I don't even know how they pitched him and how he signed there, and I, I don't know. He nobody mentioned the Islanders in any of their speeches. Um, so it wasn't about them, but uh, it's funny to that he's just this huge, huge, huge star in his home country, and it you know, makes you really appreciate that. Uh, and it's funny how many good Slovakians we've had. Yes, yes. You know, between him and Vesnovsky and Halak, and obviously Paul Felix. Chara. <laughs> Ch- yeah, yeah, Chara. <laughs> many years ago, but, but but the funny thing yeah. is, like that's that's still. I mean, as far as hockey countries go, that's a, still a relatively new country you know and, and and so they hadn't they established themselves very quickly as as a place where really really good hockey players could come from and and palfy was the big one um yeah i guess we'll just talk about ziggy right now he he's obviously ziggy is for those of us that are old enough to remember and i was i was explaining this to my wife and i don't know if i really captured it as well i'm sure she couldn't care less but like ziggy palfy was n- the only good player the islanders had for a period of about five or six years and I'm not saying that to disrespect the other players on the team, but that is the absolute hard stone cold fact. This dude scored 40 goals, three straight seasons on a team that could not shoot a puck into an open garage door. Like they just weren't that good. And somehow this little guy 
who was, you know, kind of pudgy around the middle and didn't say much uh, and was the most unassuming 40-goal scorer you ever saw, managed to score literally 20% of their goals every season, and that is astonishing. And the fact that he did it in the early internet era means that not enough people saw this guy play. Like just, I mean, I know there was a lot of complaining, like when John Tavares was here, and you know, oh, he doesn't get enough credit. He's he's toiling away on Long Island. I'm sorry, you could you could turn on the internet and see John Tavares anytime. If you did not, if you did not watch the Islanders in the late mid to late '90s, you never saw Ziggy Palfy play. Period. That was the end of the story. Like there was no no. If maybe something he did something crazy that was on ESPN, but even then, if you missed it, you blink, you miss it. That guy, he's easily the most underappreciated Islander of all time. Like he has to be because it was just a time period. But and and the the time period plus the things that he did make him the most underappreciated Islander of all time. It has to be because that team stunk. Oh my god, they were terrible. <laughs> but again, in Slovakia, that dude is a god, and he established them as a hockey country. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh my god, I, I've I've only seen a tiny little itty bitty part of this man's career. Like the the larger part of that career is out there, and I won't ever know this guy on a level that his countrymen know him, and that's kind of awesome in a way. <laughs> yeah, I think the so Palfi to me is kind in, in a weird way is is why I'm an Islander fan because my oldest brother David, um, who's a little, he's born in '86, uh, so that was like Palfi was a rock star uh, to him, and and when I when I probably went to my first couple games, like we went to go see Ziggy Palfi and. Uh, you know, I, I definitely I can remember a couple games or instances of things he did. I know my brother was uh, on TV for for a game that they beat the Bruins like nine two or something, and, <laughs> and Paul Paul had a hat trick. And um, there's I think like an maybe you'd call it an Islander famous interview he did with like Stan Fischler after the game on when it was Sports Channel. And um, yeah, he's I mean he's another one though. You see his jersey. All the time. If you go to an Islander game and and you don't see a Ziggy Palfi jersey, it's kind of weird. Hmm. Uh, they're they're everywhere, especially because the era. He, I mean, he wore the, the fisherman jersey. So like, there's a there's a lot of cool Ziggy Palfi uh, stuff being worn around the Coliseum or Barclays Center when wherever they're playing that night. And uh, he's he's like the mullet, the name, just everything about him. He he was a he was a bit of a legend. Uh, both like he's a bit of a mythical creature. I think to people in my kind of generation which i would say where where the um peter laviolette was kind of the beginning era of of when i was like very cognizant of what the islanders were and meant and their history and stuff and so palfi was like just as i was turning into a, a you know a big big islander fan and he was kind of what you expected every islander superstar you're like oh <laughs> is he's is you know, is Mary Strakowski as good as Ziggy Palfi was? Is is Alexa Yashin like? Is he going to be the next Ziggy Palfi? You know, these these guys that really um, kind of capture the zeitgeist of, of the Islanders and like the the take take kind of take over the the Islanders uh, like the the like the fans and, and just become a huge deal. And I think he, if you think about it, this is very hyperbolic, but he probably has had a huge, a bigger impact than any of us realize on keeping the Islanders where they are and, and afloat and there, because like you said, he was the only one they had. So if people, he was worth the price of admission. He was the reason people showed up. He was the reason people bought merchandise was Ziggy Palfi. So I'm not saying like Ziggy Palfi saved the Islanders, but uh, he definitely was a, one of the the assets they had uh, that, that did kind of keep them alive in, in some really lean years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was, he was definitely the only Jersey they sold <laughs> at that time. And the only, you know, hockey card, uh, I'm sure there was a starting lineup figure of him, that kind of thing. He was the only marketable guy for a team that simply was not marketed. And um, when I say he was marketable, I don't mean they marketed him because they certainly did not. But if they ever had, he would have been the guy. Um, I'm looking at his stats again. I, I know right off the top of my head he had 40 goals three years in a row because the only person who had done that before then was Pat LaFontaine. And obviously nobody's done that uh, since Palfi. Um, he did have... Um, the 98-99 season was when he held out, and I remember that clearly because I was an intern for the Islanders at the time, and I was writing uh, for their Game Time magazine, and we kept having to like make up, write stories that kind of danced around the fact that their best player wasn't here. And when he re-signed, I remember it was a big deal. He, he re-signed in early December 
Uh, it was a game against the Blues that he came back and played, and um, they also unveiled the new scoreboard at the time, which was a big deal. And uh, it was it was like this. You know, you'd think that a guy holding out would make a fan base kind of boo and, and like really kind of turn on the guy like, oh, you left us high and dry. We're not that good anyway, and now you're holding out on us. But when he came back, the, it was like he was returning from an injury. Like they were people were just so happy to see him again. Um, it was a, it was a big deal. It was like a party, and I, I believe they won that game too, which is probably one of the few games they they won that year. But uh, I did have a laugh though because during his induction speech, Ziggy is still a man of very few words. He didn't wasn't interviewed that often. Uh, which probably also uh, helped make not make him the most marketable guy in the world. Uh, it was a very, very short speech, but uh, one person he did thank was his agent, Paul Krause. And again, Islanders fans of a certain vintage will remember Paul Krause being the guy Mike Milbury said uh, was a pretty good village idiot, or a village was missing a pretty good idiot uh, because Krause didn't live in a village. He lived in the city. So I did laugh at that because it reminded me of that holdout <laughs> and uh, and Ziggy, uh, you know, kind of coming back and being the, the returning hero, even though all he wanted to do was get paid, man. He wanted to get paid like a 40-goal scorer because he was a 40-goal scorer. Unfortunately, he played for the played for the, the cheapest, worst-run team in the league, and, you know, he eventually, after that season, was when he got traded to L.A., he damn near got traded to the Rangers, as I wrote about uh, in our Law and Owners series, and the uh, had the Islanders owners asked for more straight cash in that deal, that probably would have went down, and we would have a very different outlook on Ziggy Palfy. But Gary Bettman stepped in and was like, "No, get more cash from these guys. I don't care if they own your cable rights. Find somebody else to trade him to." And they end up trading him to L.A. And again, like I feel like I remember reading at, at, at the time that a lot of Kings fans just didn't know what Ziggy was all about, and. What's funny is that Ziggy went out there. For us, he was a goal scorer. He scored 40 goals three years in a row. He, that was the only thing he could do. Out in L.A., he turned into more of a playmaker, and he ended up having more assists all those years than he had uh, as an Islander. And I, I think he was playing with sort of late-era Luke Robitaille and I don't know who else, Glenn Murray and a bunch of other guys in those sort of early 2000s Kings teams. And the only, Ziggy had a, a 12-year career, and the only times he made the playoffs were with the Kings. He only made the playoffs three times yeah. in 12 years. That is really, really terrible. It was really sad. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear. I was sorry to read that. I was like, oh, man. Even when he played for the Penguins, it was when they stunk. But, uh, but yeah, just, I mean, I have all day for Ziggy Palfi. He's just such a superstar. I love him. Uh, if I can meet one Islander, I don't know. It might be him. But I don't think we'd probably say too much to each other. But I just wanted to know that. <laughs> I, it's funny with the, all the um, kind of investment the Islanders are putting into uh, the alumni stuff. And, and they seem to be really in tune with – stuff we've talked about a lot about how islander fans uh love their cult heroes because they've had one batch of real heroes and they were all heroes you know 30 something years ago so uh it's it's funny to me that that, and and i'm sure there there maybe were a lot of people reaching out and stuff and um palfi never really seemed to be too sentimental about his time (laughs) on the islanders even you know afterwards and but it would i think the the crowd I mean, if you if you saw how we reacted when Sean Bates uh, was shown on the jumbotron, you, it would be like three times that if 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 Ziggy Puffy. I think people would throw, you know, uh, I don't want to say you know bras or whatever on the stage, but like you know that's that's the kind of image. I if Ziggy Puffy walked out on the on the ice at the Coliseum, I think people would just start throwing their clothes at him. You know, jerseys just everywhere. I think Ziggy. You know, I mean, look, just because these guys are are famous athletes doesn't mean that they're you know, outgoing people. And that's okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not an outgoing person myself. Uh, and so I, I could see that, you know, maybe he, he's just not wanting to, uh, you know, kind of get out there. He's just not that type of person. I, I, this is a completely bonkers story, but uh, Frank Welker is the guy who has been the voice of Fred on Scooby-Doo for 50 years. He's also was Megatron. Frank Welker does everything. He's, he's been a cartoon voice on everything for forever. And, He's just not like an outgoing sort of, you know, he's a very friendly guy, but he's not the kind of person like go to like fan conventions and stuff. And Rob Paulson is another guy, voiceover guy who uh, has had a podcast for a long time. And he said that he's been telling Frank for years, you got to come out. People love you. People want to meet you. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to do it. And he just, he kept saying like Rob Paulson kept saying, Frank Welker just doesn't understand the impact that his career and his work has had on these people for so long. And I, I feel that way about Ziggy. Like he might, he might not have a great memory about his time with the Islanders because again, they were a very cheap team and he was the only good player on it. And I'm sure they were not getting what, you know, the other players in the league were getting at the time. But 
I feel I I'm I think exactly the same way you do. Like if he were to come back for a game, whether it's at Barclays or the Coliseum, and they were to say like, "Hey, it's Ziggy Palfi is coming back," I think he would get an ovation that would bring him to tears. Like I think that he would probably freak yep. out. Like, holy shit, these people still remember me and care that much about me that they're going to give me like a five-minute standing ovation? Because it would happen. Because everybody my age would come out and be like, I can't believe Ziggy's back, finally. This is this feels right, you know? I, yeah. I think if you if you they sent out a survey to every Islander fan and said, we, we want you to write 10 <laughs> names down of guys who haven't come back that you want to see come back, uh, I think Poffy would probably be... My my list would be super weird, so I don't know if Palfi would be number one on my list, but but uh, his, I think his name would probably be on the top of you know, eight if eighty percent of the oh, list. Oh yeah, I mean it it would be John Tanelli. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Tanelli's already come back, but I mean like for like a formal thing, mm-hmm. it would be Tanelli and Palfi. Yeah, and, and yeah, Turgeon, exactly. Probably. And, yeah, I think and, and like sure. I, I think there's there's kind of a almost like a closure that that fans need with Palfi a little bit. Like we we need this guy to come back to show him that you know it. You were you were playing in the dark ages and and but we were here like we were here for them too yeah and I think that's that's a funny thing about this this franchise is you know the when you you hear Mark Parrish and uh, he's starting to make the rounds a lot and talking about he tells some stories about those years those years weren't the dark ages at all but they were still dark in terms of you know the Islanders weren't getting coverage and nobody really knew what was going on uh, outside of of here but they forget like hey we we saw the weirdness too. Like we're a part of it. And I think that if, if these guys see like just how much they meant to chise into the fans, like just be blown away. And, and I hate to keep bringing them up, but like it was apparent with Bates. I can tell you right now, Sean Bates, when he was shown on that scoreboard was not expecting what was coming. And it was a ridiculous, ridiculous thing. And if, if Ziggy Palfi just pops up on a jumbotron, even like if it's not even a Ziggy Poffy night, I can't even imagine what that place would sound like. Uh, and that's what that's a great thing about, you know, this being an Islander fan oh, is, yeah. is that these guys just mean that much to us because <laughs> look at dude, like you, you, we know exactly kind of what you went through. We, we, we didn't have to, to play in, in those mm. circumstances, but we certainly had to watch and be a part of it still. And, uh, so we, we, we definitely will show you the appreciation you, you deserved back then and you didn't get from, the front office but you yeah. you definitely will get it from the crowd you didn't get it from the front office the the politicians the the media <laughs> any fans anywhere else but yeah no we were definitely there and, and we appreciate it and yeah no i i agree that it, you know there is that connection there and i think that's why you know a lot of players like like parish like adrian coin you know they, they still like ray ferraro like they root for the islanders still because they know about that connection you know um, one guy who might not get that much of an uh, of an ovation if he came back was Jorgen Janssen. And Janssen was an Islander for one year. Uh, he is the brother of Kenny Janssen, who played for the Islanders for a long, long time. And and Jorgen was an interesting case because he had a really, really decorated career in Europe. In fact, I found out again through the the uh, IIHF uh, ceremony was that he he's made more appearances for Sweden internationally than any other player in their history, which is pretty remarkable. You'd think all the guys, you know, Lidstrom and, and all those other guys, you'd think it would be somebody like that. But no, nope, Jorgen Janssen, 285 appearances in their Trey Kroner jersey. And uh, he had a heck of a career. He was kind of, wasn't a big score, but he was kind of, um, you know, two-way forward a little bit, very defensively oriented, but also could score goals for sure. And uh, when he came over, uh, I don't know how many – how many international medals and stuff he had won at that point, but it was kind of like a, a, a medium sized deal. Uh, you know, it was Kenny's brother and Hey, you know, they got the in and if he's going to play anywhere, why wouldn't he play with the Islanders with his brother? But man, it just did not simply work out. He had me look this up. I believe he had like 11 goals um, in a couple of, a couple of games. Let me make sure I got this right. Yeah. He had 68 games in the 99, 2000 season for the Islanders Seven goals and 17 points. Um, you know, again, that team stunk. Like they, they were absolutely terrible. That was the year they, at the end of that year, they would have gotten the first overall pick to take Rick DiPietro. Uh, I think, oh no, wait. Yeah, no, he was drafted in 2000. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, they were pretty awful and, um, he just did click and he didn't, I remember as the year went on, it became less about, man, this guy isn't really working out or he's not, he's the kind of player that on a really good team would be like a folk hero third or fourth line guy that's just, you know, 
that playoff performer, that guy who's kind of the safety valve, who always does the right thing all the time. But on a team that can't score, has no good players, this is, again, the post-Palfi trade Islanders, uh, he was not going to be any help. You know, it just he wasn't going to do enough. And so, but as the year went on, it became more like, this guy just doesn't want to be here in America. I don't know if his family had come over with him and wanted to go home or they had stayed in Sweden and he wanted to go back to them. But it became clear that he was not going to stay in America very long. And sure enough, Mike Milbury traded him to the Anaheim Mighty Ducks of all places at the deadline. Uh, You know, if you're not having fun in New York, of course, why wouldn't you get traded to Anaheim of all places? Uh, He played 13 games for the Ducks. Uh, I don't believe they made the playoffs that year. No, they did not. So that was that. And uh, then he was gone. He was uh, back to Sweden, and that was his one year in the NHL. But again, you know, same thing. Like, he just had such an unbelievable career. Uh, Two Olympic gold medals, two gold, three silver, four bronze in the world championships, um, which to us is, you know, (laughs) I was laughing about this with my wife too. You know, the world championships to us here is the place where the guys who didn't make the playoffs go to, you know, get a little bit more hockey out of the system before vacation. The world championships for other countries is a huge, 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 huge deal. And this guy played in more world championship games than anybody for Sweden. And guys like Lidstrom and, and other players had nothing but great things to say about him. And so, again, it's it's like a weird disconnect. Like the Jorgen Janssen I know, the story of Jorgen Janssen I know is very different than the one that actually played out. And uh, it was cool to see him in the IHF Hall of Fame, but it's just kind of funny that, oh, yeah, that guy, Kenny's brother. Yeah, like we know him as Kenny's brother, whereas to everybody else, he's like superstar <laughs> Jorgen Janssen. Yeah, that's kind of weird. That uh, speaking of dark ages, I feel like that is um, that season was just oh, yeah. this the strangest. Oof, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think to me the the names that that come off that that list obviously like Tim Connolly was was this big thing with on that team and uh, Janssen and Jokinen and uh, that I just I it's obviously Chara too was there for a little while I think at that point right this is like his first sort of extended stay in the NHL and. Um, it's uh, yes. it's just it's a weird season in Islander history that one because they were <laughs> just so bad and they didn't have they didn't have as like you said post Ziggy Poffy they didn't have a a star they had Mary Strakowski was probably their biggest name or um yes he, he led the team in scoring that year seventy points I mean, that's a, that's an unbelievable goals. year he's a he's a, <laughs> when is he going to get inducted into the IIHF <laughs> I mean he he was yeah, seriously not to to go off on a Strakowski tangent now but he. I think too was uh, just someone as an Islander fan and another one with a name and a story being from Poland and being the Polish prince. And there would always be Polish people at the games that traveled to Long Island to see him. It's like, oh, yeah, we came to to New York, but we wanted to see the sights. But we also had to make sure we saw Marius play. Terrible team. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he was really mm-hmm. good. I mean, that, um, yeah, that, yeah, that team, he, I would say, Aside from the guys they ended up trading away, like him and Kenny Johnson, uh, Claude Lapointe, I guess was was toiling away. Talk about toiling away on Long Island. Claude Lapointe before they made the playoffs was was always toiling. <laughs> being the, the oh, checking man, line yeah. center on on a terrible team and like the that's what I was I was the first person I thought of when I was talking about Jorgen Janssen there was Claude Lapointe. Same exact thing. Like had he played on a good team, he would have been you know the, a folk hero. But on the Islanders, it was just like <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, what are you going to do, this poor guy? I feel bad. <laughs> he can't do anything. Uh, Tchaikovsky, the, the tragedy of Tchaikovsky is just that he, he had that, you know, he played for all these bad teams. He was, but he was on that 2002 team that, you know, with the first round series against the Leafs and he had a good series at four points in seven games. And then he was traded to Montreal, uh, after that season. So that, that's a disappointing end. I, I'll never forget that trade because they traded him for Aaron Asham. Right. And, uh, he, I just remember being really upset and then. Asham became, you know, another folk hero in a different mm. kind of way. Uh, <laughs> and then Tchaikovsky came back for that other, th- that last little go around with the Islanders too. Mm. So yeah. um, I was excited that they both got to play uh, together. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and I, I think it was um, during his time in Montreal, like people, I remember people just reading articles about him in tr- trying to figure out what they meant. And people were like, Mario Tchaikovsky is just terrible. And uh, he did like the Islanders kind of won that trade because mm. Tchaikovsky didn't do much for them, and Asham yeah. became a decent, you know, piece to a, to the, their bottom six. And uh, then they got Tchaikovsky. He wasn't terrible again yeah, in no, his second he was good. stint. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, that yeah. the uh, the two thousand the ninety nine two thousand team real quick the uh, so Tchaikovsky was obviously the the main offensive catalyst with seventy points, but beyond that the other three stars were uh, Brad Isbister, he had forty two points, twenty two goals, forty two points, hundred penalty minutes. Uh, Another one that you will always see, you will always see if there if it's a big Islander game like if it's a sellout. Mm-hmm. There's going to be one Brad Isbister jersey there. <laughs> yeah, he sold a lot of jerseys. I thought he was going to be huge, Brad Isbister. Me too. Um, also, though, uh, Eric Cairns, 67 games played, two goals, seven assists, 196 penalty minutes. Uh, and then Steve Webb, 65 games, one goal, three assists, 103 penalty minutes. So three guys, well over 100 penalty minutes. One guy almost damn near 200 penalty minutes. That was the kind of team that was. <laughs> like, you just... They weren't very good, but you know you were gonna you were gonna feel yeah, the, the wrath. Every goal, every goalie that ever played in the NHL played on yeah. that team too, right? There's, that was that, yeah. There's Felix Potvin and Wade Flaherty, yeah. Kevin Weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Luongo. Oh, yeah, man. That's oh yeah. yeah. Weeks, Luongo, Potvin, Valaket, and Flaherty. Oof, man. All right, let's yeah. uh, let's stop that right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So um, so yeah. I thought it was weird that that three Islanders made it into the IHF Hall of Fame. There were other. Uh, inductees this year. Uh, Mike Medano is a guy we all remember very well. Played for Dallas. He's now uh, working with uh, the the Wild as their like player development guy or something like that. So he kind of went back to where it all started. But uh, boy, what a player! And talk about guys who weren't marketed. I always thought that Medano should have been more of a bigger name. He's good looking dude. Really, really good player. Played in Dallas. I don't know why the NHL didn't market him more in the nineties. Um, Jim Johansson, who was with USA Hockey for a long time, recently passed away, was was uh, recognized as well. Um, Boris Alexandrov from Kazakhstan was the first uh, native of Kazakhstan to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. We can both name a certain Kazakh player who should be inducted into the IIHF Hall of Fame very shortly. Man known as the Professor Evgeny Nabokov. Hopefully he's on there at some point. <laughs> um, a guy named uh, Konstantin Malikov from Bulgaria was also nominated. Uh, uh, he uh, 52 World Championship campaigns for Bulgaria. I guess he was a goalie. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know him that well. But the other big, uh, probably the biggest name out of all, all of these people, quite frankly, to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year was Haley Wickenheiser. And all I could think of was, I don't know how Hall of Fame work, but how the hell did it take Haley Wickenheiser this long to be nominated, to be inducted into the double IHF Hall of Fame? I mean, she, it even says in the thing I'm reading here, she's perhaps the greatest woman to play the game. And I mean, for it seemed like a decade, the only three female hockey players anybody could name were Haley Wickenheiser, Cameron Granado, and Manon Ryu. That was it. And only one of them played, you know, that one game. The other two were just superstars, no matter who they were. They were just two of the best players on earth. And I don't know why it took him this long to put her in there, but I guess it's better than 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 nothing. But geez, I thought to myself, how the hell was Haley Wickenheiser not already in this Hall of Fame? And especially in the in an era before there were women's professional leagues, I mean, all she, all they had was international play, and I mean, all she did was win four golds and seven world championships. I mean, that's just crazy. Geez, I mean, I know you only induct like a handful of dozen people every year, but man, that could have you could have put in Haley Wickenheiser a little bit earlier, right? Geez, holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, I was saying to you before, like there's, um, you know, there are just right. names that stick with you, and and hers was the first one in women's hockey because she kind of was good when I was, you know, just getting interested in the sport and stuff. And yeah, it's weird. I, who knows how these things work? And and uh, <laughs> the like, <laughs> you talked about how big a deal Ziggy Palfi and and Miro Shatan are in in Slovakia, and so uh, who knows what kind of politics and glad handing goes on to get these guys, yeah. you know, and. Sorry, uh, sorry, Viznovsky, and, and we got to make sure that Ladislav Nagy gets in first because you know, <laughs> <laughs> his, yeah, no. his people are really powerful. So yeah, well, it's like I was saying with uh, the Hollywood Walk of Fame guys. Like every once in a while, you're like, "How did this old person take this long to get in the hockey, the, the uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame star?" Like I, 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 I mentioned William Shatner, but I feel like it was Linda Carter was another one. I'm like, you're telling me you couldn't give Wonder Woman a Hollywood a star Hollywood Walk of Fame before? 2000 and whatever i mean you know she's been linda carter for a long time i don't understand like you said it's all it's all money and politics and glad handing and whatever but i just thought that was kind of weird so you know here we are talking about these three guys with islanders connections but the biggest name on this whole list isn't anybody that isn't an islanders connection at all and i mean Haley wickenheiser probably should have her own wing in the 
double IHF Hall of Fame at some point. But anyway, uh, so congratulations to all of the inductees. Uh, it's it's amazing. You should definitely check it, check out the video I have there because you, you'll learn a lot and it really changes your perspective on on how these folks' uh, careers went. And it, it's uh, it's pretty cool to see. And hey, anytime we get to see Ziggy Palfy highlights, it's pretty awesome. So there you go. Uh, so uh, thanks for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. This was a fun one. We've been kind of looking forward to this one for a long time. So it's kind of cool to to walk down memory lane. We should do that more often, I guess, but also have, you know, be able to talk about Brock Nelson and Noah Dobson. Yeah. That was pretty cool too. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, again, like we said last week, don't know when we'll be back. Maybe we'll be back next week. We have, we've been dancing around the whole Belmont thing. I don't know if I should, should we do a Belmont this episode? I don't know. I don't Listen, we're not it. the only ones dancing around that. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> There's a lot of more important people do it. The same thing we're doing. So. Also yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we will, maybe we won't, we'll see. Um, but, uh, maybe, you know what, last time we did an episode, they signed Brock Nelson the day after. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, expect a Anders Lee or Robin Leonard announcement <laughs> shortly. There you go. <laughs> uh, tell everybody your, your Twitter handle again. It's uh, the big Lebowski with two E's. You should follow Mike at the big Lebowski with two E's. You should read NHLnames.com. Uh, that's set up by our friends, John and Travis. You can kind of, uh, you know, get bone up on uh, who's playing in the uh, for the Blues and Bruins right now. You should read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. And, uh, yeah, we really appreciate you hanging out with us. Did, did we get everything? I think we, we talked about everything, right? There's nothing else. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm excited to see what, uh, what the next couple of weeks bring. Yeah. Uh, yeah, draft is going to be around the corner. And, uh, yeah, free agents and all that other stuff. So we'll be back at some point uh, to talk about something. And, yeah, we'll – Hope you'll hang out with us then too. All right. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.